You are, you are now tuning in to Reform Raza. Our aim is to glorify God through the edification of the saints. Expect practical theology and a draw to be biblical. So if you ask us who we do this for, because this is for the last. This is Reform Raza. My name is Martin Velasquez alongside with my brothers. This is Corona Justin. And? And what up, everybody? This is Brother Vic. And you are now in the mix. Don't forget to hit us up at reformraza.com with any questions, comments, concerns, or rebukes. You can hit us up and send us an email on the website. Go ahead and get your merch right there on the website, reformraza.com. Your official Reform Raza merch brought to you by Wrath and Grace. So go ahead and hit that up. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a comment and share the episode with those that you know have some bunk theology. For real though and That's what we're here for Yep So gracias for tuning in Once again And I would just like To start off this episode By telling Justin That's not a good idea To start off by saying Corona Oh yeah <laughs> With the virus And everything Say, now, say COVID Justin COVID <laughs> Corona Not the virus Justin <laughs> Now my uh, name Has become a bad word Dang, Dang. It's Justin Bleep First now first what I what I hold to and what I study, theology is a bad word. Dang. Now my last name is a bad word. All bad. But anyways, uh we got a quick announcement before we get a popping in this episode. Since it's the end of the year, we thought we would just go since we haven't really been active on social media really lately. We want to interact with the listener, with our followers, and so we're gonna be doing a, a Instagram live, or Instagram Facebook. or Facebook. Either one. Well, yeah, we'll have more details later. We're but, going live. But we're going live, bro. I think this is the first live event that we're gonna we're gonna uh, do. So stay tuned for that. We'll post it on the Instagram and on the Facebook page. But we are going live, people, and we want to interact with y'all. So go ahead and. Uh, when we post uh, the time and the dates, hopefully you'll join us for this live event. And we're just going to be chopping it up, the things that we've been learning this year, the things that we've gone through and experienced, how God has grown us, and just, you know, talk, talk, talk the talk. I guess you could say it would be like a live uh, Q&A with us. Yeah. Or we'll, we'll just share, just, it'll be like end of the year Q&A with us so if you uh, yeah when we start posting the details about it go ahead and get yourselves ready for that so rasa go ahead and wait on us for that so and and it's all free <laughs> yeah it's free it's a free we we, we offer free <laughs> prayer <laughs> a free live event we offer free insight on ourselves <laughs> Oh my goodness So if you caught last episode We're talking about the types and shadows We're talking about Jesus Christ our Lord uh, We're just talking about who he is Right that's what we're going to dedicate these next Couple episodes to and So we're focusing on the types and the shadows In the Old Testament How certain situations Or positions or prophets Or kings 
all pointed to Jesus Christ and what he would do for us on the cross. And I think this is very important to talk about because in Latino churches or typically charismatic or Pentecostal churches or mega churches, you know, our brothers and sisters who are in those congregations, we usually hear preachings that are mostly allegorical or have some sort of uh, application when there is none. So there's a difference between descriptive and prescriptive text, right? So they usually take a descriptive text and make it prescriptive. So something about like, you know, and, and Elijah walked five miles to get to the forest, right? An example. And so they make a whole sermon of that. It's like, what, what are you walking towards? And what is your destination going to be? And it's like, nah, that's just describing what really happened. But then we have these, these kind of pictures of, of pointing towards something. So we have to pay attention to certain language that the scripture uses that is also used in the New Testament. So when you make the connection, we're like, oh, there's something going on right here. How Victor mentioned last time in Deuteronomy 18, I says uh, that Moses said that he, God will raise up a prophet like unto him. And then so we see that coming to pass in the New Testament. Or we see in the book of Numbers where the people are getting bit by snakes. And then God tells Moses to put a, a snake on, on, on a stick and raise it up. And whoever looks on the stick is going to get healed. And so that's even referenced in John chapter 3. So that was a type or a shadow or a fuzzy picture of the things that it was to come. I think that's, fulfilled. The, I think that's the benefit of us living in the time that we live now, where we mm-hmm. have the... <clears throat> the benefit of the church fathers and, and all the apostles and them just putting together the Bible that we can actually put these things together as mm-hmm. we read them. And and that's why it's very encouraged. I mean, when we encourage new believers to start in the book of John, because if you, if you begin with the book of John or at least the gospels in general, and then you go back and you read through Genesis, it'll, it, it will then begin to you will see the connection starting to, to, to draw towards Christ a lot yeah. easier than just being a new believer starting in Genesis, being like, okay, when am I going to get to Christ? Yeah, exactly. When am I going to get to Christ? Not knowing that Christ was in the mix the whole time. Yeah. And so Justin talked about the kings and Victor talked about the prophets. And it's very important also, also, because if you have conversations with people from different religions, you know, Mormons or Muslims, they have their own beliefs about these kind of things. So if you know that Christ is the prophet, how is referenced in John chapter two, how Philip, I think it was, how they asked Jesus, are you the prophet? Are you the one that's gonna come? They were waiting for this one prophet that's gonna come and, 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 and speak to the people once and for all. And so we see that Jesus is that prophet, that Messiah they were, they were waiting for. There's no need for another one. So if you talk about Joseph Smith or, or, or Muhammad, there's no need for them because Christ fulfilled that role of the, being the prophet to the people. So it's very important to, get, to understand these things so that other people come from different religions and, and talk about their beliefs. You'll be like, no, 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 no. The scripture says this about this position and how it's been fulfilled, how it's been fulfilled by Christ. So last week I talked about the sacrificial system, right? The sacrifices. 
And um, I alluded to the position of the high priest. So when you read the book of the Leviticus, you know that one book that no one wants to read, you know? <laughs> the second half of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. Numbers is uh, the number one book that many people skip over. Because it's literally Numbers, dude. <laughs> you open the book of Numbers, like there's 12,000 people in this, and th- they're like, man. And then all the names of the families. Yeah, and all that. dude, that's crazy. But I'm not talking about the book of Numbers today, so praise God for that. I'm talking about Jesus uh, fulfilling the role of the high priest. So after the Exodus, the, while the Israelites were in the in the wilderness, God established the sacrificial system and the administrator of that system, which would be called the high priest. So there's a lot, man. There is a lot here. So I'm going to try to sum it down and, you know, just break it down real easy so you guys can understand. In Leviticus 16, we see what is called the Day of Atonement. So what the priest would do is that he would have to put on the holy garments, right? He would have to dress a certain way to be able to enter the tabernacle. And so the tabernacle had uh, uh, three uh, basically like rooms. The first general room where where people could actually go and and be in. And then we have a, a place that's called the holy place. Where they were the only the the priests or, or the Levites would be able to go in there. And then you have the most holy or the holy of holies, where only the high priest was allowed to enter that place to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And then God would 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 uh, manifest Himself in that room. And so we have uh, the this this high priest who would have to first make sacrifices on behalf of himself first. So this is very important. Because men are sinful. So this high priest first had to atone for his own sins before he could atone for the sins of the other people. And this is going to be significant when we talk about Christ being the fulfillment of the high priest because Christ was sinless. So he didn't have to offer himself a sacrifice for himself and then for the people. So um, the high priest would go in, offer sacrifice for himself first and then offer sacrifice for the rest of the people. And he would do this once a year on the Day of Atonement and the sins of, the, uh, of Israel would be covered, covered only for one year. So from the point of the wilderness up until the point of Christ, this was taking place every single year. And year after year, lamb after lamb, goat after goat, blood spill after blood spill we would have this be put in place so the sacrificial system was a very bloody and violent event and so if you read the instructions that god gave the priest you would see that there was a lot of blood involved and the, you know they would slice the neck of the of the of the of the sheep or the goat and then fill up you could gather the blood and and you can imagine how bloody that priest would come out of there and year after year so th- this is gonna remind us of three things one that forgiveness is costly two that punishment due to sin is death and with number three without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins this is how god chose to reveal something about what would happen to his son, Jesus Christ. 
that in order for God to to be appeased or, 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 or to satisfy his wrath that he had for sin, it was demonstration of how much hatred God had for sin that the punishment is death because of how holy God is. And so we would see that this was just a reminder and, and, and it was a pointing to something, something greater. And so when we, when we talk about the, the, the day of atonement on that day, also the priest would have two goats, one to slaughter and then one to, to basically Escape pray him. the scapegoat to pray the sins. So the, the 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 high priest would put his hand over the goat and he would pray, you know, confess the sins of Israel on this goat, and then they would let the goat out into the wilderness to basically die on his own. And this was called the scapegoat. And so we see even that that Jesus was sacrificed outside of the city gates, even fulfilling the role of the scapegoat. And so we see this happening. And then one thing also, when when the, the high priest would go into the, the Holy of Holies, we see this, that, that the priest would get the blood and he would sprinkle it over the mercy seat, which inside is the Ark of the Covenant, which is which the, the Ten Commandments are on there. So the blood of the Lamb would be spilled over the Ten Commandments. And that is very significant because I think one of you guys was going to talk about it, the, the law. Yeah. Um, that Christ fulfilled the, the law, right? But we would we, we even get a shadow of that when the blood of the Lamb covered the Ten Commandments, and so we we it's, it's a really fuzzy picture of something that's gonna happen later on, and so so as we continue, now we we the place to go for this is Hebrews chapter seven, eight, and nine. So if you want to learn more about this, study those, those those chapters deeply and profoundly. But let's talk about real quick the qualities of a high priest. Number one, the, the high priest was selected among men. So he was someone that, that was brought up from Israel, someone that, that was uh, selected from the tribe of, of the Levites. So this is going to be very significant once we talk about Melchizedek. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about Melchizedek real quick. So Hebrews 5.1 talks about the, the high priest was selected among men. Number two, he represents the people to God. So, so the high priest, he would be a representative of the people to God, and then he would be a, a representative of God to the people. And so that we can find that in Hebrews 9.7. And then he would offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. That's Hebrews 5.9. And number four is very important. And in Hebrews 5.2, it says that he is able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward or the wandering and the lost. So not only was this high priest supposed to uh, commit these duties, but he had to have the right heart to do it. He had to be compassionate. He had to be gentle. He had to be a people from the people for the people in order to stand before God as a representative from the people. So his internal feelings must be lined up with his duties. And number five, we see that he has to be called by God. And that's Hebrews 5, 4. So we, we see all these things, these qualities 
that Christ actually had. Jesus was brought up as a man from among the people. We see that he, he was a rep, uh, representative of, of God to the people. When uh, I think it was one of, well, one of the apostles asked him in John 14, he says, he says, show us the father. He says, you, you've seen me, you've seen the father. So he was a representative of God to the people. And then we know that he offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. And we know that Jesus was compassionate. We see that and God had and Jesus had compassion among the people. And we see this when he sat uh, with sinners at the table. So he was he definitely had the heart for the lost. And of course, he was called by God. That's so, crazy. Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. I was going to say that's crazy because that, that I didn't know that part about that. They had to have compassion. Mm -hmm. it, it adds another layer to when he speaks on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. exactly. of how the first person that walks by uh, the man on the road was a priest mm -hmm. mm. and just go. continues walking and he was supposed to he of all people was mandated or was supposed to have compassion over such guys exactly people. exactly so he definitely had, had to have the heart for people so we see that the old testament priest offering was a shadow and Christ's sacrifice was a reality of that thing. So the Old Testament priesthood, it, it had its day and it passed away. But Christ's priesthood lasts forever. And that's what we're going to see right here. Because as we get into Hebrews chapter 7, the context of, of this letter was reference to Hebrew Christians. And so we had Jewish Christians who the whole life were brought up in the Jewish system, right? So they were used to the concept of the high priest and the sacrificial system. And then Christ comes and he resurrects and these, these, these Hebrews, they believe on Christ, but then they're looking at Christianity and they're saying, what, what really do we have here? We don't have a temple. We don't have a sacrificial system. We don't have a high priest. So that, that was the situation that the writer of the Hebrews was dealing with. So in order to 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 let the people know, hey, Christ, he is our high priest. So that's why he goes so in depth of Jesus being our high priest, because it meant something to the Hebrews. And so that's why it was written to to convince his congregation of of Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice and being the fulfillment and, and the final uh, uh, priest of, of the people. And so that was important for, for them. But then we come to Hebrews 7 and we, we talk about this guy named Melchizedek. Now, I'm going to be real. I had no idea who this guy was. Just before studying this, I was like, man, this is going to be a tough one, man. I have no idea what the heck Melchizedek, Melchizedek. I can't even say, uh, it. say that again. Say that again. Melchizedek. <laughs> <laughs> so, according to scholars, scholars don't even know who he is. That, that There's a mystery of Melchizedek. And I think that's a very interesting because uh, no one knows who this guy is. So, we find him in, in Genesis chapter 14. And we find him in Psalm 110. Big old long difference between Genesis and Psalms. The time frame is, is a couple hundred years. And then we see him reference again right here in the book of Hebrews. So we know that the people were, uh, they knew about this figure named Melchizedek. 
And so some people think that he's a pre-incarnate Christ or that he's a manifestation, a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And that, that's just what people believe or, or they, they think that this Melchizedek was. But he was an actual person. So he couldn't be a pre-incarnate Christ because he was he was an actual person. When we talk about like theophanies and things like that, it, it was it, it was a, a pre-incarnate Christ for a short time, and then that pre-incarnation left or something. But we see that Melchizedek was actually a real person. So there's a mystery around that. But the the thing that I found out is not so much focused on on who he was but who Melchizedek represented like his characteristics so one of his characteristics that we see in Hebrews chapter 7 is that his name has a strong significance we see in Hebrews chapter 7 that that uh, his name is called uh, king of righteousness and and king of of, of Salem and and king of priests uh, king king of peace so his name Melchizedek means means uh, king of righteousness and, and king of king of peace and so we already we already know that that that's all obviously a reference to Christ right there so who he represented or what his characteristics represented is very significant and so as we go uh, through these couple, couple of these we're gonna see hold on one second let me bring up the scripture because I don't want to get it twisted. So Hebrews chapter 7 real quick. Uh, verses 1 through 3, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham uh, portioned a tenth of everything. He is a first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembled the son of God. He continues a priest forever. So that's a deeply profound statement of who Melchizedek was. But let's talk about what, what he's representing right here. So his name already king of righteousness and king of peace. And so he is without mother or father or genealogy. So there's no record of Melchizedek's uh, bloodline. It's never mentioned. And it's never mentioned about his death. We're just, we just know about him through the, this one small portion in Genesis 14. So the Levitical priesthood, you had to be a Levite from, from that bloodline to be a high priest. If you weren't uh, from the, the tribe of, of Levi, then you you were automatically you, you can't be a high priest. So this is significant because Christ wasn't a Levite either. He was from the tribe tribe of Judah, but then he's referenced as our high priest. So we have that significance right there. And since we don't have a record of Melchizedek, Melchizedek's death, technically. It never ended his priesthood. So that's why it says that uh, his, he has neither beginning of days nor end of life. And we know that Christ, he is the beginning and the end. He is the ancient of days. He is eternal. 
So that's how he resembles the son of God. And one of the one of the things that got people twisted and why the, the Pharisees had so much beef with Jesus is because of his of uh, Jesus um, claiming to be more superior over Abraham. And we see that after in this portion in Genesis 14, how uh, 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 Abraham came back from the war and then paid a, a tithe to Melchizedek and then Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And it says, the scripture says that the superior blessed the inferior, meaning Melchizedek was on a higher rank than Abraham. And so we see in, in uh, uh, John chapter eight, how he says, well, are you greater than our father Abraham? The Pharisees tell Jesus, and he says, before Abraham was, I am. And then he, they took up stones to kill him. He was proclaiming his superiority over Abraham. And so these characteristics that Melchizedek had, we see that Jesus had the same characteristics and was on a greater level than Melchizedek. That's why in, in the next portion it says he's Jesus is after the, the order of Melchizedek. Because Melchizedek has such high characteristics, but Jesus is higher than Melchizedek. So to wrap it up, we see that Jesus, after uh, uh, making his final sacrifices, that the, the, the veil of the tabernacle tore, and now instead of having a... Uh, 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 this holy place where man was was not accessible to we see that jesus came in offered the final and more more perfect sacrifice on the cross and so now people have access to god through this one man who came into the tabernacle and offered himself a more perfect and holy sacrifice so that the people may know who god is and thus, Jesus fulfilling the role of the high priest, the ultimate sacrifice and, and, and the more perfect and more sure sacrifice. Because remember, the, the high priest, he was a sinful man. And think about it, Caiaphas, the one who killed Jesus, he was a high priest. So he definitely didn't have a heart for people. He was a very religious man. And we see how corrupted that position of a high priest became so that Jesus comes the perfect offering and the perfect one to come into the tabernacle of God. And so that the tail, the, the tail, the, the, the veil was torn. So now people have now access to the father through Jesus Christ, the son. And thus he fulfills the role of the high priest. And I think in... <clears throat> and I think in First John it goes on to say that Jesus is our intercessor, yeah, our mediator that that stands before us uh, to God. Mm -hmm. So He not only was the final and sufficient sacrifice, but He is also our High Priest who continues to make intercession for us. Continues, and His role does, does not end. He's eternal, and He is for us and not against us. So. So that 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 man, there's so much that I could have said, dude, that I didn't say, man. But you know, I'm short on time. Go ahead and study uh, the, this this the shadow of the high priest and how it's fulfilled in Christ. Hebrews seven, eight, and nine. Get your study on. And so now we're gonna go into the law. So the fifth one that we're gonna be talking about is the law. And so <clears throat> most times when uh, the law is is referenced or the word. Um, it is the Ten Commandments, but moreover, it is also talking about um, the commands that God had given to his people. 
And so that was divided into three different sections, which was the civic, ceremonial, and the moral laws. And so in Old Testament, it is first brought up in Exodus 20, when Moses goes to the, to the mount to go before God, and that's where the Ten Commandments come. And then from there, after Exodus 20, it goes on to the law of diet, diets and law of the sacrifice and just numerous laws for Israel to be set apart from everyone else that he wanted his people to follow. Um, and so just at first hand, just, just looking through the law, you would see that, man, like, how is anyone going to complete any of this? And then, of course, at the end of, of God giving them the law, in Deuteronomy 28, um, yeah, so in Deuteronomy 28, at about verse 1, we see that then God uh, tells his people that there is blessings for obedience for those who obey the law and that there will be curses for people who disobey the law. And so in 28, he says, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, your God being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord, your God will send, will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord, your God, blessed shall you be in the city and you and <clears throat> and blessed shall you shall you be in the field blessed shall and, and so it goes on just to talk about all the blessings for those that are obedient to the law and then of course in verse 15 he goes on to talk about how we would then be cursed for if we are not able to keep the law he says if you do not obey the voice of the lord your god or be careful to do all that he has command and his statutes that i command you today then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed is the fruit of your womb, fruit of the ground, increases your herds and young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. You would then be cursed or otherwise condemned, right? And so even just by reading that, we understand that, man. Okay, so so when we see the law, and back then, and this is where Israel, um, most of Israel, got it wrong. They saw the law as something that they had to fulfill on their own. That, okay, if we complete this, God will bless us. And so it went so far as that later in the time of Jesus, we see that the Pharisees added more to the law just so that they could... Um, keep themselves from failing and so most times in the new testament you hear um, jesus go on to talk about you have heard as it is written right and he would be referring to the law but then when he would go on to say as it is said he is referring to the added laws that the pharisees would add to the text to keep them from disobeying the law that was given and so they had it down to the T to try to uh, complete the law to the point where they, by conscience, were holding others captive to their own laws to, to try to keep it. But that wasn't even the, the intent of that. And so let us go to Romans 3, where then we see the burden lifted off of all of our shoulders. And so if you have your Bibles, 
you could go into Romans 3. And so this is the, the most, um, not famous, but this is the, the more well-known verses where we hear Paul telling the Romans that no one is righteous because we aren't. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. No one even seeks to please God. And at the end, there is no fear of God before people's eyes. And so here we see that none is righteous, right? And why isn't anyone righteous? Because all are under a curse of the law. And we see that here in... Um, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so we see a difference here that the law isn't meant to justify or sanctify people, but instead was meant to condemn people so that we see our dependency for God. And so in Romans uh, 3.21, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so now speaking of Christ, that his righteousness is apart from the law. And so in the beginning, I would think, man, what does that even mean? How, how, do, how can Christ be righteous apart from the law? Well, it's because the law and the prophets all were talking about Christ. He's apart from the law because the law wasn't... Um, um, the law wasn't meant to make Christ righteous, but instead the law reflected the righteousness that already came from Christ. So his righteousness was apart from the law because the law was from Christ. Mm -mm -mm. And so they had this twisted view of, of looking at the law as something that was to justify them before God. As something that would sanctify them and bring them into um, God's hands. But in fact, it was actually the opposite. The law was given to show our depravity before God so that we could recognize a need far greater than us so that we can be justified and be able to, to be blessed by God. And so in Romans 8 verses 1 to 9, I'll go, on, I'll go ahead and read that. Or actually, no, I won't read that. But it goes on to talk about how we are dead by the law when we when we try to, to serve the law. And so, man, we, we start finding ourselves into this circle because then even in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul would go on to address that how we were idolaters, adulterers and all these things. Right. But yet we were washed and made alive by Christ. So by the law, we were shown the things that were in us already as a mirror, as, as we have referenced before in other episodes, but how Christ has made us alive and how he has made us alive. He has justified us and sanctified us. Why? Because of his righteousness. But if we go to Galatians, we see that it comes back full circle as far as the law. And we see that the law goes past just a set of rules, but instead, um, when studying for this, it actually caused me to look more at the covenant with Abraham. And so here in Galatians 3, Paul would go on to say to the Galatians after he has um, 
rebuke them, call them foolish because they have fallen into um, circumcision. He'll go on to tell them that um, verse 7, 3, 7 says, Know then that this is that it is those of faith who are of the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So remember what I read before in, in um, Deuteronomy about the blessings, right? That we will be blessed above all nations. Now, Paul is referring here again. He's saying that the Gentiles, because before that was just for Israel. But now in Galatians 3, Paul is saying that the Gentiles will be justified by faith. And not only that, that that um, they will they would then follow in the line of Abraham and where he goes on to say, and you shall all the nations be blessed. And so it is because of faith in Christ that then we receive the blessing because Christ fulfilled the law. So in this type of shadow on, on, on the law, it is not so much as Christ being the greater law, because it can't be the greater law, but instead it is he is the fulfillment of the law. But more than that, he fulfills more than just the law. And so earlier I mentioned that the law doesn't justify and sanctify us because it can't. In other scripture, it says that it was our guardian, our school, our, uh, what do you call that? Our schoolmaster. And so it, it had a, a specific role and a purpose for a time, but it wasn't meant to go further than that. And so in, um, I believe it was in Galatians 3.23, if we go forward. Yeah, so in Galatians 3.23 says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And so now, now, now when Christ ascended to heaven, we get another glimpse of this as well. He says that when he leaves, it is necessary for him to leave so that he would then send an helper that the, that the Holy Spirit would then come and be able to dwell within the hearts of men, that the Holy Spirit would be our helper. And so the law was only necessary for that time until the Holy Spirit came. And then later in another portion, we, we, we read that the law was also necessary too, so that it can restrain the evils, that it could restrain sin and, and the depravity of man so that it wouldn't become rampant. And so I don't know about you, but whenever there's, uh, if, if there was no law over anything, we would then be able to justify ourselves to do anything we wanted. But because there are rules and laws, though we break them, we don't break them to the extent that we totally could, or utterly, that we could utterly be in a broken law. But then, um, so here as, as, as we, as I begin to, to bring it back, let us then go to Matthew 5.17. So Matthew 5.17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And here at the end, when he goes on to talk about the unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, though um, it was talking more so of um, external demands from the law, it is still um, presented before us because we receive now the righteousness of Christ. And so it is because of that that now, um, and, and although this may seem seem a little weird and odd to, to maybe a new believer, but because we were under the curse of the law, because all have fallen short of the glory of God and all have sinned and have broken his commandments, we were saved then from the curse of the law because Christ would then take upon himself the curse that we have. And so when he died on the cross, as we, as we as Martin went on to share as our sacrifice and also the, the, the high priest that would then um, help justify us before God because no other sacrifice before that was able to pardon sin. It was only to cover sin. But now that we have been pardoned and, and totally removed from the curse of the law, we are now um, brought in alive because of Christ. We have been washed clean that we may freely obey the law in delight, which is something I, I never was able to really grasp. And so, and, and, and before I mentioned that, not many were able to understand the law in its time, but they were few. And so we read <clears throat> of, of different times that David understood this, that even in his sin, because there was no sacrificial um, there's no sacrifices that you could present before God for death. If you killed somebody, that would, th there's nothing you could atone for killing somebody. But yet David killed and, 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 um, and purposefully sent Uriah to be killed. And so because of that, his hands were not clean, but yet God had pardoned his sin. Now, it, it, it would have entered that way unless David knew what was up, unless he was able to understand the law and what it meant. And so this is where we read in the Psalms where David says that he delights in the law of God, in all his statutes, that, that he actually finds joy in it and that he loves them and he meditates on the law. And so for a Jew to, to take that on, it's almost like, how can you delight in a law? How can you find joy in it unless you understand where this law is pointing to? Just like Abraham was preached the gospel before the, before the gospel we have today, right? In the New Testament. But yet he understood by faith. And then the same, David understood by faith, knowing that this was pointed to something greater because he saw himself mirrored in the, in the, in the law that he was sinful and needed God. And so we read Psalms 51, you know, the, the greatest Psalm of, of a, a repentant heart to God. And so David understood this. And so here we are today, past New Testament, right? Here we are, the, the modern church today, 
this is where we see the culmination uh, at least we have the 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 uh, what do you call that the blessing of being able to see this now right there's words before us of how these things fit together the law was given to restrain sin and evil but at the same time it was also given to condemn us that we may see our need for god and so then down the line, Christ comes and he fulfills that for us because all have fallen under the curse of the law. That means all are guilty before God, even those where the law has not been given because God has, has written the law in their hearts. So every person has failed this. And so this is where we get original sin. This is where we get total depravity, which we talked about before. And so because of that, Christ has took upon himself the curse when he hung on the tree, which was the cross. And when he died, he gave, um, he um, took upon himself our curse, but yet at the same time, he gave us his blessing. We were made alive in Christ by faith for all those who believe in Christ. And so this is where um, theology meets the gospel. This is where um, this really comes into play when, when we ask these questions uh, of when we look at the cross of how does Jesus Christ, how does his death on the cross make me, um, grant me entrance into heaven? How does, how does that even work? Why is that even necessary? Well, this is why it's necessary because we are under the curse of the law. Anyone that tries to fulfill the law has already failed. But yet any person that comes to Christ has already fulfilled it because of Christ. And so this is where the law is fulfilled in Christ. And notice how um, God's plan of redemption has always been the same, even during the Old Testament. How the Old Testament, uh, how we would call the Old Testament church or the Old Testament saints were saved also by faith because they, they saw the curse of the law and the high demands, like, man, I, I can't do this. We're not going to be able to do it. So they were presented this prophet, this this one Messiah, this one who would come. And so they would they would save. They were saved by faith in the one who was to come, although they didn't live to see the the revelation of it or the fulfillment of it. They were still saved because of what Christ would do to pay for the sins of past, present and future. So it's just crazy how how all that comes to pass, how Old Testament people were saved through faith also. And that just, you know, blows my mind how God's plan has always been this. And, and God has made it so easy for people too over the time of the Old Testament because in the beginning it was a sacrifice per person, right? And then it became a sacrifice per household, which was an exodus with the, the lamb, the blood over mm -hmm. the, the doorpost. And then it was a sacrifice for the city. And then, of course, as, as the sacrifice and it became more sufficient for a bigger group, it still wasn't enough. It wasn't enough because not only that, it only covered, it never fully pardoned the people. And so even the priest, those who, who continue to do the sacrifices on the day of atonement, man, they were busy all from, from, from sun oh, up to sun down. down. Yeah. And they were more of a butcher than a priest. Yeah. <laughs> they were in and out. And can, you can only Man. imagine the amount of blood that yeah. was filling the Holy of Holies. And then, and just then, a tone. And then the scripture says that the blood of goats and bulls was not enough. 
So all that blood still wasn't enough until Christ, who is sufficient, who is enough, comes and offers himself a more perfect and holy sacrifice. Because the law demands perfection. Yeah. The law demands Christ. The law demands Christ. Dang, hashtag that thing, man. Man, that's why I love these uh, these types and shadows right here because you see throughout the whole Bible that everything is leading up to that moment when Christ finally comes and he is our great high priest. He he fulfills the law. And uh, even even in the past episode when we spoke, he, he's, he's that, that king, he's that prophet, he's that sacrifice, that everything that we've been talking about, it's all through the Bible that it's leading to Christ. Now me, I had the task of bringing to presenting to you Jesus as the greater judge so, or Jesus as the ultimate judge. So it's not it's not it's not a privilege anymore how you said it last episode. Sometimes <laughs> hey, the word of God says sometimes you gotta labor in the Lord. <laughs> and so I had I say task because uh it, it was truly a labor for me because I'm trying I'm trying to study uh, the the book of Judges. I'm starting to 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 study how Jesus is a greater judge. And I couldn't find that many resources to it. That's crazy. I, I, I couldn't find any audio. Uh, I looked up John MacArthur, you know, uh, uh, how did he say it? Bring, bring, uh, bring God's truth one verse at a time. Like, but you skip judges, bro. <laughs> oh, what's up? I'm going to an email. <laughs> you know, I love RC Sproul's teaching, but I couldn't find anything on judges. Dang. I even looked up John Piper, and he had one sermon that didn't talk about judges, but it was... It was, it was reference to judges. I'm like, man, we're you got killing me out here. That's <laughs> killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. That's why I say it's a task because, but yet again, a, a privilege because I'm not relying on other on other resources or anything. I, I had I had to dig in deep and really see how Jesus is the greater judge. And so the only way that I can present to you Jesus as the greater judge are by these three these three basic points, which was. What was the role of a judge, a, sh- a shadow of the greater judge, and why is this important? First off, to understand the role of a judge, I have to give you a brief overview of the book of Judges because it's not talked about a lot. And so to better understand the role of a judge, you have to understand what was taking place. Um, God told Moses that, that you know, that, you know, let my people go and I'm going to give you this promised land. He doesn't enter the promised land, but... In it, as as Justin just explained that they were given laws, the Ten Commandments. But in those, in the whole law and the Ten Commandments, there was given a covenant, a conditional covenant that when you go into this promised land, you have to obey me and bring down the altars of all these pagans, all these gods. I'm giving you this land now. If you obey my voice, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna bless your land. But if you do not obey my voice, curses will come upon you. And so this conditional covenant was given uh, in the days of Moses. And now we know in the book of of Joshua that Moses died and Joshua took over. He was conquering the lands and he was obeying the Lord. And and, and there was a great conquest. But now we get to the book of Judges, which was after after the the days of Joshua. And now the, the book of Judges opens up like this. That Joshua served the Lord all of his days and the elders with him. And that... Within time, 
obviously because no uh, nobody in this life lives forever joshua died the elders who knew god and saw the work of the lord passed away and now we have this new generation rising up in the book of judges who knows nothing about the lord who knows nothing about his works so side note hashtag baptize your babies for these days Bring up your children in the ways of the Lord that when they grow older, they shall not depart from your ways. That, that, that was the free one for you. But um, Judges 2, 1 through 3 says, uh, God will, will give this new generation this. I brought you up out of Egypt and brought you in the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down the altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. So this is what, how, how the book of Judges actually opens up. And you can see why nobody wants to preach from the book of Judges. Because you'll look at this and you'll think like, man, God's a savage and the people of God are, are, are even more savages. But here, here's, here's a cycle of, of, of sin through the book of Judges. It's that there's peace in the land, right? Israel is serving, serving the Lord, everything's good. And then Israel does evil in the eyes of the Lord. Actually, the book of Judges says that the Israelites hoard after other gods, spiritual adultery. So God punishes Israel because they broke the covenant that, that they had made. Israel cries out to the Lord in repentance. God hears their cries and raises up a judge. And then that judge delivers his people. And then it keeps going back and forth. There's peace in land. They do evil. They cry out to God. God sends a judge and, and there's peace. And, and it keeps going through this throughout the whole book. And now there's 12 judges. But you get to the last scripture and you understand that in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So now let's define what it is that a, a judge is. How did the judge uh, uh, play out in this book? Now, when we think of, of judges, we right away think about Somebody who's who's sitting sitting in the chair, bringing down the gavel, and is judging everybody. That's not what this book is about. This book is not about somebody uh, giving judgment. Judge judges is actually another word for a deliverer, a savior. And so, no, uh, scripture uh, uh, defines scripture. So Judges two sixteen says, "Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them." from the hands of those who plundered them. So judges are deliverers. And I wrote this note down that G, the judge, a judge was a military deliverer, an administrator of justice, and a model covenant keeper. This was the role of a judge. But here's something that we're gonna go, as, as we go through the book of Judges, as you study, as you read the book of Judges, the judge, the first judge, everything's good. The second judge, everything's good. And then you keep going down through the judges and you'll see that there's flaws in every judge. Because ultimately, the book of Judges is not about how you can be the hero. It's not about how you can be used in, in your generation. It's not what it is. It's all leading to there needs to be a better judge. There needs to be a greater deliverer, a flawless, a perfect deliverer who will rescue us from our sins, from, from, from our from our whoring with other uh, idolatry. But this is meant to show you God's faithfulness to a rebellious people and to show you that ultimately there needs to be a greater deliverer. 
And so now there's 12 judges in this book, but I only have time to go through one judge because if not, it's we're going to be here all, all night. Um, but I want to talk to you about the second judge who is the story of Ehud. Now, this is a successful judge. This is actually uh, one, one, of, one of the greater judges in the book, book of Judges. And let me read to you this story. We're going to do some reading real quick. Judges chapter 3, verses 12 through 30. If you want to turn there, if not, listen. The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He gave King Eglon of Moab uh, power over Israel because they had done what was evil in the Lord's sight. After Eglon convinced the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join forces with him, he attacked and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites served King Eglon and Moab 18 years. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he raised up Ehud son of Gera, a left-handed Benjamite, as a deliverer for them. The Israelites sent him with the tribute to King Eglon of Moab. Now listen to this, this is where the story gets a little bit deep. Ehud made himself a double-edged sword, 18 inches long. He strapped it to his right thigh under his clothes and brought the tribute to King Eglon of Moab, who was an extremely fat man. Oh, I love this story. That's that's just we're gonna get to it. We're gonna get to that real quick. But this that's how the Bible portrays, portrays this this uh, oppressor, this king, as an extremely fat man. When Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he dismissed the people who had carried it. At the, at the carved image near Gig, uh, Gilgal, he returned and said, King Eglon, I have a secret message for you. The king said, silence. And all his attendants left him. Then Ehud approached him while he was sitting alone in his upstairs room where it was cool. Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And the king stood up from his throne. Ehud reached his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into Eglon's belly. Even the handle went in after the blade and Eglon's fat closed in, in over it. So, so that Ehud did not withdraw the sword from his belly and the waist came out. That's gross. Dude, just real, <laughs> quick, just real quick, dude. This, Say it. Dude, this always reminds me of like some action movie with the punchlines. I have a message for you, King. And he busts out a strap. Bruh, 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 bruh. And then like he walks away. Those cheesy action <laughs> films. Yeah, yeah. And he walks away and this stuff was just blowing up in the background. Hey, when I was reading this, I'm like, man, there's a lot of movie references right here. For real, dude. So as the story continues, he had escaped by the way of the porch. He just like walked away, closing and locking the doors in the upstairs room behind him. He was gone. When Eglon's servants came in, they looked and found the doors of the upstairs room locked and thought he was re- relieving himself in the cool room. So basically, they thought he was taking the dump. <laughs> that, this is a story. This, this is, is a story. Bible, okay? this, this is, is a Bible. Bible right here. Cool things happen when you read the Bible. Seems pretty <laughs> sus. <laughs> <laughs> the servants waited until they became embarrassed and saw that he had still not opened the doors and there was their Lord lying dead on the floor. He had escaped while the servants waited. He passed the Jordan near the carved images and reached a, a, a Syria. After he arrived, he sounded the ram's horn throughout the hill country of Ephraim. The Israelites came down with him with the hill country and he became their leader. He told them, follow me because the Lord has handed over your enemies, the Moabites, to you. So they followed him, captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab and did not allow anyone to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all stout and able-bodied men. Not one of them escaped. Moab became subject to Israel that day and the land had peace for 80 years. 
Now that story is just crazy. It's it's kind of comical in, in a way, but this actually happened. And you might look at this and you'd be like, well, where's Jesus in all of this? What, what, what happened here? Now, the Gospel Coalition says it like this. The theological message of this story is that God delivers his people from hopeless situations in surprising ways. Now, let's take a look a little bit back of, and, and really uh, break down this story and see uh, how, how the gospel plays through all of this. Now, there's this King Eglon, right? He's described as an extremely fat man. For all my Star Wars fans, this is Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. <laughs> Blasphemy. Whoa, whoa, wrong, wrong button, wrong, wrong buddy. button right there. Try, try one more time. I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> so this is Jabba, basically a Jabba the Hutt type of person. He's extre an extremely fat man. And you might think, well, how does this portray the gospel and all of this? We can say this, that King Eglon, because he is an oppressor and he's, he, is, he is sent by God to punish the Israelites, we can say that this can, can describe sin, how ugly it is. Or you can even describe Satan because we know that that Satan is basically God's puppet, and and you know he does whatever whatever God God tells him to do. But there's this King Eglon; he's oppressing the Israelites. So so Israelite cries out to God and, and says, "God help us!" And so he raises up a judge. Again, a judge is a deliverer, and we have um, Ehud. Now the Bible describes him as a left-handed Benjamite. And the thing that you got to understand, because it's very specific calling him a left-handed Benjamite, well, people who were left-handed were not seen as all-powerful. They weren't seen as, as somebody who, who, who had the, the power. The Bible always describes with, with the right arm, with, with, with a, a, a Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, and the right hand stands for power. So we got this left-handed Benjamite, not to, go, not to attack any left-handed handers out there, but basically, when you're talking about someone who's left-handed, you're talking about someone who's weak, someone who's not as powerful. Now, Benjaminite means son of the right hand. So this, this, so he's basically a left-handed son of the right hand. Mm. Yeah, this is yeah, this is crazy right here. But how does this portray Jesus right here? Because this is supposed to signify he is supposed to, to represent Jesus. He he is in the shadow of Jesus. Now this is what this is what I get right here that Jesus came in humility. He was a son of the, the son of God. He is the son of a of, of right hander. He's the power, but he came in humility, which is that left handedness right there. Philippians two verses six through seven says, "Who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men." This is describing the humility of Jesus. That even when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he didn't come on a white horse. He didn't he didn't come proclaiming that I'm the king and I'm this, but instead he came riding on a donkey. He didn't come as, as someone who was about to conquer the Israelites at that time and take over Rome and let's start a rebellion and this and that. No, he came on a donkey, signifying that, that his humility right there for what was to come. But he's coming in peace. He's coming as, as in humility. Now, Ehud has a double-edged sword. Now, don't think of this as, as, as an extremely large sword and it's double-edged. That must signify that it's the word of God. This is actually a dagger. 
something small that is used to kill the king. Now you might look at this story and say, well, how is a left-handed man gonna, gonna hide a dagger and use that to kill a king? You might think that's crazy. How is this little, 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 little knife right here gonna, gonna kill a king? Well, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So this is basically foolishness to the world. A left-handed person is going to be our deliverer. It's foolishness. The cross is foolishness to the world. But us, when we know and realize the cross and the beauty and how Jesus came to save us, it is the power of God unto salvation. And this is what Ehud uses to kill the king. So we can say that, that this is representing the cross right here. That Jesus in humility came as a man, put down his, 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 um, his majesty, put down his glory, came in the form of a man, and he came... Not to take over Rome, not to take over uh, uh, an earthly kingdom like the Israelites wanted, but he came to die on the cross for our sins, that our sins may be taken, may, may be taken away as a true uh, deliverance for us. Now, this is what the story says that 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 he that that Ehud basically uh, put put the the sword in, into his belly and it swallowed up, and after he had he had killed killed him. He escaped. A left-handed man escaped. Now we can say that as he had escaped, this is Jesus conquering the power of sin and proves it by the power of his resurrection because he escaped the, the hand because he defeated this 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 big uh, sin, this ugly sin. He defeated Satan at the cross. He took all authority away from him. And when we look back at the story, after he has done all this, he's killed killed the king uh, uh, Eglon and he and he escapes. He he tells the Israelites, "Come, follow me." I have killed the king. The Lord has given you victory. Come follow me. Now we can reference this to Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is a picture of the gospel that, that Ehud, representing Jesus, is going to come conquer sin conquer the authority that Satan may portray to have he proves it by his resurrection proves it by the way that Ehud escapes and he says come follow me come Jesus says all authority has been given to me I conquered sin I've conquered saying come be my disciples and so there's, there's a lot there's a lot more to, to the book of Judges but this is the only one that I can go in detail with. Now, as you study the book of Judges, as you keep going down the line of the judges, because I was the, the, the great judge right there, a great, a great judge. But as you go down the line, you're going to see the flaws of men. You're going to see that, that, that as Israel increases in wickedness, because remember that sin cycle. They, they sin, they get punished, they cry out to God. God sends a deliverer. There's peace, and that keeps going and going and on. So as the sin increases in the land, so do the judges increase in their sin. Now, I had, I had a tough time to, to see this. I'm like, how does this represent Christ? How do you, how do you all these men filled with uh, flaws, how, do, how are they representing Christ? And so Hebrews 11, 32 to 34 says this. 
And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Now this, now that portion of Hebrews chapter 11 is is represented as, as those who, who are with the honor roll of faith. These are the, you know, the Bible heroes that you would, t- would talk about. Uh, you know, if you listen to some my preachings, they'll tell you that you're, you're David and you're this and you're that. But, but the honor roll of faith is not meant to show you that you're this, this Bible hero. I mean, because look at that verse that, that, I, that I just uh, uh, said right now. For time would fail me not to, to, to tell you of Gideon, which is a judge, Barak, a judge, Samson was a judge, Jephthah was a judge, judge, David was a king, but Samuel was a judge. So he's describing these judges as men who have faith. Now, just, just a quick... Um, uh, uh, just a quick summary of Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. Not to go too into detail, but if you if you look at the story of Gideon, who was a judge, you look at the story, and this man was a coward. He was a uh, he was always hiding. He 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 didn't want to go to war when God told him to, and he was always questioning, "Well, is it me? Is it me? Is it me?" But God gave him victory. Because if you read the book of Judges, you see that the spirit of the Lord, that God delivered his people, but he used Gideon, who was a coward. And after he had con- he had conquered the king, he led the people into idolatry and eventually named his son Abimelech, which means my, fa- uh, my father is king. He was basically saying that I'm the king. I'm the one who did this. You look at Barak, who passed up the opportunity of honor and a woman t- took his place of honor. A woman killed the oppressor instead of the man. Instead of the man, Samson, one of those great Bible heroes that, that, that you always hear about. This guy was was strong. He took he, he defeated the Philistines, but he was always giving in to his lustful desires with Delilah. I mean, you, you just look at Samson, you're like, what's going on here? Uh, Samson is going with Delilah. Delilah goes, tell me your weakness. Four times he he, t- he uh, Samson gives in, and every time uh, the Philistines are trying trying to to conquer him, you would think by the fourth time that he's like, okay, something's going on. But he gives in to his lustful desires, and it's like, man, this woman's nagging a lot. I'm just going to tell her my secret. And Samson uh, gets captured by the Philistines, but God uses him at the end to to, to conquer them. Jephthah was a judge. But when he conquered and, 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 uh, and conquered the oppressor, he sacrificed his daughter thinking it was an honor to God. Now these men had flaws, yet the book of Hebrews is saying that these men were men of faith? Now why am I saying all this? It's because it's the whole point of Judges, again, is not to point out that you're the hero and God wants to use you for your generation. No, it's pointing to you that there was a great judge but then all these other judges were they were flawed. It was meant to point to you that there's a greater judge that's coming. There's a better, uh, there, there's this Messiah that's coming. All these men were flawed, but used by God to conquer, to point to the need of an ultimate judge who is Christ, who is to come, who will ultimately conquer 
all, all the flaws who would ultimately conquer our weaknesses now again why is this important why is this important to know that you know there's a greater judge and on the flaws of all these men is because hebrews 12 12 1 says therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay let us also lay aside every weight and sin which in it so easily clings to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god this is for us today not to look at, at, at men who are flawed not to look at us that, that that we are this great king that we are this great conqueror but ultimately as we run this race as we progress in our sanctification, we must look to the ultimate judge, the ultimate deliverer, who has Revelations 19 tells us that one day he's going to come on a white horse. He's going to come to conquer the, uh, the ultimate enemy, which is death, that death will be swallowed up in victory because Jesus is going to come to fulfill everything. He's going to come uh, to fulfill, to conquer sin and death for once and for all. And that we look forward to us as people who are serving God. We look forward to Revelation 21, where ultimately, after everything is done, that there will, there will be a place, no more mourning, no more tears, no more pain. But we will look to Christ who will ultimately deliver us from our sins and from everything else that we go through. And this is why the types and shadows are important. That we may focus on Christ. Yeah, we are because we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us be careful of what we do because people are watching us. No, let us be encouraged because of those who have ran the race already before us. That is what that meant. Not that people are watching us, but because we see through the Bible that even these flawed men had faith and were in Hebrews 11. Let us then be encouraged by that. That even these men who had what would may be called as mustard seed faith, even that was enough for them to continue. Let us then be encouraged by that, that even with little faith would be more than enough in our lives because of Christ. So because Christ is a fulfillment of the law, we are not saved by works, but through faith. Because Christ is a better judge and a deliverer, we need not to look for someone else to come and deliver us. He has already come and delivered us from our sin. And because Christ is the ultimate high priest and the superior high priest, there's no need for a pope. There's no need for someone to intercede for us. Christ is the one who came as our high priest and interceded for us and offered himself as a more perfect and holy sacrifice. So those are the applications right there of these three topics so that when you conversate or uh, uh, interact with people of different religions, you can um, tell them, hey, Christ is to fulfill He already did all these things for us. You don't need to do certain you know, works to obtain righteousness or to hope in a coming one or to uh, uh, whatever the situation may be that Christ has already fulfilled uh, these roles. So therefore, let's look to him for our salvation. So that's the purpose of doing these episodes, man. And man, I had a blast. We learned a lot, man, just talking about these things. And we got to hear a cool action story. So that was dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was the end of the Type in Shadows. Um, if you want more 
if you want something more like this more in depth we could do it later on in in the new year 2021 coming soon the next coronavirus 2.0 just kidding <laughs> whoa but blasphemy yeah that's just <laughs> But um, I hope this would encourage you guys, the listeners, to go back to the Old Testament after you have already read the Gospels, after you have already learned more of Christ, that you would go to the Old Testament and you would see these things unfold. It is like almost having, um, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I rewatch a movie, whenever I watch a movie a second time, a third time, I'm able to pick up little details I didn't notice the first time around, right? Like if you watch a movie, all the way through till the end and then you go and rewatch it you're able to see how either the villain or the bad guy progressed his way to where he got to or you could see how the the good guy the hero why he does what he does or how things played out and culminated to the climax of the movie in the same way in the bible we're able to see little hints and details that since we already know the end right that christ conquers all and he has given us salvation by faith we're able to look back now in the old testament and we're able to pick up these little these little types and shadows right and we're able to see how it all does point to christ and how it was always there in the beginning except we never knew that just how anakin skywalker was going to be darth vader we knew it we just saw it unfold we just didn't want to see it happen yeah <laughs> so watch the mandalorian this is reformed rasa don't forget to hit us up reformedrasa.com get your merch uh brought to you by wrath and grace and don't forget to hit up redeemed project radio mm. it's 24 7 online radio dope content dope um music catches there every monday also too if you if you catch the radio Hit us up, any feedback that you have about the station as well, as yeah. we are still growing in this. We only had our soft launch in November, and it's already been a month. We had a good steady amount of people listening, but we would like feedback. We would love feedback so that we could better adjust the radio to um, to serve a better, uh, to, to, to be more refined. Yeah, because we're still growing in that. We're still learning about everything about that. So, yeah. Redeemedprojectradio.com. Also, if you have any resources of Christ in the book of Judges, let me know. Because I couldn't <laughs> find any. Let me know. Yeah, your boy's suffering over here over that. <laughs> but uh, this is Reform Rasa. Gracias for tuning in. And we will keep you posted on that live event. Yes. A free live event. Yes, free live event. <laughs> where we offer free prayer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're... Oh, I was going to say, and also just stay tuned for the rest of the series. This is the Jesus series. We just finished Types and Shadows, but we will continue with Christ prophesied. And then, of course, on the week of Christmas, it will be Christ's birth. Ooh. Mm-mm-mm. Wow. How did that fit in the time? Whoa. <laughs> Ain't that providential. This is We From Rasa. We do this to glorify God through the edification of the saints. Peace. Later. Arato, ratos. Cause this is for the last This is for the last